Amen. I'm so glad you're in church today. You know, the few times that I've been up here this summer, which it's been a minute, aren't you grateful for Jerome and Corey? Didn't they do a great job? Give them, a, give them some love. They did wonderfully. But in the opportunities I've had over the past few weeks to be up here, I've been bringing to you these scriptures that I've been reading in my own quiet time, and I've been telling you and showing you and pointing out that Every one of them has these outrageous elements to it, that they all come with either some kind of outrageous promise or unbearable expectation with all encompassing words like everyone or all the time. These things that I don't know about you, but in my own lived experience, my own lived out faith. Don't measure up, right? Like when Jesus says, be holy because I'm holy. Like I'm going to need some help with that on 275. Can I get an amen in church today? For real. But yet as we've seen, if you dig a little below that, there is what Jesus told the woman at the well. There is living water there. So I want to do that today. I want to, in no exception, give you two more outlandish statements, two more outrageous things that Jesus has offered us. And yet I want the invitation to you in the midst of these outrageous things that Jesus says to us through his word I want to invite you, as Isaiah did, the people of God in Isaiah 55, I want to invite you to come freely drink at that which has no cost for you. Come and buy and eat because God is good. Amen. The outrageous verse is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Jerome, a couple weeks ago, started talking about Uh, What it looks like to embody your faith. And that's just a different way of saying we have a faith that is not just a theory. It's a faith that ought to be lived. That you can actually bring your faith from the clouds to your fingers and to your feet. Right? So why scripture uses language like how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. You see, because it's one thing for there to be good news. It's a completely different thing for you to hear good news, right? You got to do something with that good news for it to actually matter. And so we come in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, we have one of these moments where we're going to need something outside of ourselves who has moved inside of ourselves to do what this is calling us to do. Are you tracking with me? We're going to need what Jesus did and we're going to need what the Holy Spirit can and is doing to be able to do any of this. Here's what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. ready. It says, make every effort. There it is again. Every. Make every effort to live in peace with who? What's it say? Everyone. Now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand here. 
Is there somebody in your life? And if you don't raise your hand, we're going to have church discipline after church. If you don't know what that is, you come see me. No, better yet, go see CR. He'll tell you. I want you to raise your hand. Is there somebody in your life that you struggle to be at peace with? Anyone? Who's not raising your hand? We need to have a meeting. Put yourself there. We have said many times that we believe this is the very word of God, breathed out by God for his people, for us to live. James would say it this way, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, right? So it would seem that God actually thinks that you and I can make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That's wild. I can't hardly make it through a week with my family in peace. And they're like, it's your fault, bro. I'm like, I get it. I'm high maintenance. But it gets even more outrageous, if you can believe it. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. I mean, you could probably fudge the numbers and be like, I mean, I made every effort that I'm capable of to live at peace with everyone. But then it, but then it throws in, and be holy. Holy, set apart by God. Amazing. But the second outlandish thing that is said here that makes it matter for you and I is this next statement. See, because we kind of get those things, right? I need to try to live at peace with people. I need to try and strive for holiness. Some of your translations are going to say strive for holiness. Some of them are going to say pursue. There, we get that, but, but listen, listen to this. Without holiness, here it is, no one, no one will see the Lord. When Jerome was preaching a few weeks ago, I was reading ahead. I was still listening, I promise. But I was reading ahead a little bit, and, and I saw that, and I was like, wow, like, think about that. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I can't help but feel weight when I read that. Because if you and I are honest with each other, my whole week, and I dare say your whole week, was not characterized in holiness. And so you see these all-encompassing things like everyone and no one. There's no wiggle room there. And, and maybe you'd just be tempted to think, well, this is a Bible verse written in a book called Hebrews that was probably written to thousands of Christians and was probably, you know, to some big mega church in the Middle East. And, and it's just, it was different. But in reality, the people who this book was being written to by an anonymous author, I think on purpose, 
was actually written to what was likely a house church, a group of people smaller than what's seated in this room right now, let alone online, let alone who will watch or listen to it later. Because even in the smallest of places, God's people matter. Whether or not they were going to live out their faith, embody their faith, actually mattered. See, because you can be tempted to think that a little church like Redeemer City Church doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. And and the reality is, is that the people of the book of Hebrews weren't doing that because it was being prescribed as the model to be in a house church, but simply because that's all that they had. You see, it was not a time on earth where it was beneficial at all for them to follow Jesus. In fact, it was becoming the opposite. There was no freedom of speech. There was no cathedrals for Christians. Rather, there was persecution for following after the one who was named Jesus. So no, this, these Christians were being written this letter because in that cultural moment their faith mattered and i would say to you that in this cultural moment god has preserved his word and preserved this text because your faith actually matters right now and so we live in a culture that says success the only measure for success is big your business isn't successful unless it's really big Your bottom line isn't successful unless it's really big. And in fact, Jesus would often claim the opposite of that, wouldn't he? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like treasure buried in a field where nobody can see it. Right? Jesus seems to upset the measurements. And, and I think for us living in our culture that the reality is and the fact of the matter is, is that anything that gets real big, we tend to think we don't need God for anymore. I've got this under control. Look at the fruit of my labor. <laughs> and we tend to remove God altogether. So Hebrews is written to believers as a call to faithfulness, not because they were faithful. See, if you pluck this verse out of Hebrews and just look at it and say, I got to be holy, you're screwed. You are in so much trouble. Because when Jesus says, be holy, because I'm holy, if you're doing that by yourself, you're in trouble. Don't care how good your habits are. Because you're human. No, the call is to faithfulness because Jesus is faithful, because Jesus endured, because the cloud of witnesses that has gone before you have endured, because Jesus endured. And since we have a faithful high priest, these people can endure. You and I can endure. Make no mistake, endurance is what's needed. Because if you and I are going to actually live our faith, and we'll talk about it here in a second, it's going to take some perseverance. Because Jesus told us that anyone who desires to live a godly life, now listen, if you're going to play the fence and you're going to be a chameleon to whatever environment you're in, then yes, you probably won't suffer. But you may stand before Jesus and he may look at you and say, I never knew you. 
And so this matters to us. This matters a lot to us because we live in a place where it's not going to be good enough for you to ride the fence over here on the religious right. And it's certainly not going to be good enough for you to be riding over here on the religious and political left. You are an alien in this time if you are going to follow the God of the Bible. You just are, and you're going to have to get comfortable with that. Because there is a path to faithfulness. There is a path here. Much like our own culture today, they were facing a society that wasn't okay with their message. That wasn't okay with their lifestyle. Not because the things they were doing were wrong, but because the things Jesus was calling to as a set-apart and holy people don't jive with what the culture believes is our fundamental right. Super important. So in in one way you could just say to be set apart, to be holy, is to be strange in the moment you find yourself. These believers were strange. Have you ever felt strange? Think about it. Have you ever felt strange? Have you ever gone into a place and be like, "I I don't belong here. I don't fit in. If you've ever been to middle school, you've felt strange. I know I have, and I know I have recently. And with those feelings, I want you to know that those feelings of strangeness, if we're going to follow God's call, haven't gone away, and they're probably not going to. Because, listen to what the call is. Listen to how Peter said it, and then we'll come back to Hebrews. Peter said this in 1 Peter 2.11. He said, Dear friends, I urge you, here it is, as foreigners and exiles... To abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Can I tell you what the secular moment we find ourselves in? The post-truth moment we find ourselves in? We are not waging war against our sinful desires. That is not what's happening in our secular moment. True or false? Yeah. And if we're honest, there's a lot of days where I'm not waging war on my sinful desires. So in this secular moment of expressive individualism, if you want to write something fun down, that's where we're at. And the reason I say that, in our secular moment where where expressive individualism begins and ends with me defining my meaning and purpose and whatever I find that fits that bill for me is truth. Man, we are all over. So in in that moment, what Peter's calling to us now is preposterous in the society in which we find ourselves. And that's not a knock on them because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So if you take Jesus out of the equation, I am going to look for whatever makes me feel the best. But you reinsert Jesus into the equation and it's preposterous for me to think that I can live the way that he's living. And for the people in Hebrews, at a minimum... It was preposterous. It was at a maximum, it was dangerous, right? At a maximum, it meant I could lose my life. And yet, just in the year 2022, in our own country, there's been 314 mass shootings. They lived in a culture of death, and guess what? So do we. 
So do we. And that's not a political statement. It's reality. I'm not going to say anything about what to do about it other than Jesus. Because the reality is, is gone are the days where you can grab the sunscreen, grab the kids, fill the cooler, jump in the car, drive to the park, play around, watch some fireworks and not wonder, oh, let's throw in, drop your kids off at school while you go to work and not wonder. Will today be the day that it happens where I'm at? Will today be the day where it happens at the school my kids are at? And we don't even have to go into the history of the United States of America, right? Like what it meant 50 years ago to be a person of color. Right? Like we, we live in a culture of death. And it's still a culture of death. We certainly live in a culture of decadence. And I think that is true. But we are rapidly progressing just from decadence to death. And so the believers in Hebrews, the believers today, if we do what Jesus is calling us to do, are suffering. Our culture is suffering. Wars and crucifixions and punishment from dissenting from the Roman or Jewish way of life were very real. They were perhaps maybe like some of you. Or some that used to sit here and don't sit here anymore, if we're honest, have just looked around and done some inventory and be like, this whole Jesus thing is starting to get less and less beneficial for the life I live outside of these walls. And that would be true. And the question the people in Hebrews were asking is, maybe we should turn back. And frankly, that's what the people of God for thousands of years were asking. Maybe we should just go back to Egypt. At least we had food. At least we had shelter. At least we had, and you fill in the blank. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I just, I don't know if my faith is real. Maybe I should just give up, give up on this thing. Listen, a a good persuasive speech can drag you into any of the former offers that this world has to offer you. But the book of Hebrews is written to this small church in that time, and I would say in our time, with one message said in a thousand different ways. Don't. Don't. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. He said a lot in the first 11 chapters. And here's what he said. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. How do I do that? Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross. That's strange. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Redeemer City Church, don't lose heart.
Consider him. How should we then live in this moment? Consider him. Consider him. In light of this hope we have in Jesus, how should we live in our secular moment? How, what does that look like? Because the religious right would say rage against the culture, right? The political left would say cave to the culture. And we would say, I don't feel good about either of those options. There has to be something else. What does Jesus want for his people? That's what we're after. And I would invite you to search your heart. Is that what you are actually after? Or are you actually after something much easier? We have to wrestle. Because if you go back to chapter 12, verse 14, we get back to those outlandish things that we're called to. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Simultaneously trying to live at peace with everyone. Be holy. Because without holiness you'll never see the Lord. How do I hold those two things in tension? You see because when you think about how you're supposed to live. Our our natural man wants to do one of three things. Right? These are very common. Fight, flight, or freeze. We, we either want to fight, tear down the culture. We could all look at churches that maybe we grew up in or maybe we know still that would say, fight the culture. It would take a very quick Google search and you'd get lots of YouTube videos of pastors telling you to fight the culture. That is not what Jesus is telling you to do. That is not what he told the people in the book of Hebrews to do. You cannot... Live at peace with everyone while fighting everyone. I know that's controversial sometimes, but you cannot be a peacemaker who will inherit the earth fighting everyone that breathes. What about flight? There's a whole different segment of God's kids. That would flight, withdraw into our holy huddle, away from the culture. All, all we need is what we have in here, and that is not at all what this call is either. That doesn't match up with the Great Commission either. To go into all the world. There's that all word again. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, Right? So it's not fight, it's not flight. What about freeze? What about privatizing my faith? It's just between me and God. Very popular today. I'm a spiritual person. Great. But that's not what Jesus said. And we need to be real about that. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life, and here we are again with these ultimatums, no one comes to the Father except through me. So none of those options are good. What Hebrews says is, no, we don't fight, flight, or freeze. No, we participate. We participate. We seek the welfare of our city, as the prophets of old said to God's people. 
And we embody our faith in a world that will require suffering. Why suffering? Because as we participate in the city that we find ourselves, we are also participating in holiness because we have been clothed in Christ. I'll read something to you from Romans in a little bit that will explain that a little more. But the reality is, is you are holding up two things in tension that don't go together in the moment we find ourselves. To live at peace with all men while being holy will find you in a camp that nobody else is in. Other than God's kids. Super important. Because the reality is if you choose to share your faith this week at work or dissent from popular opinion about a political issue, or dissent from popular opinion about a religious issue, you will be, not you might be, you will be mischaracterized, misrepresented, and possibly punished. Like we're, we're actively in that place where you could lose your job for talking about Jesus. And so some of those things will get very real for some of us. But consider him. Don't you love that? But consider him who endured such opposition. And do not lose heart. Redeemer City Church, embodying your faith, actually living your faith Sunday to Saturday matters. It matters. A disenchanted faith chooses sides. It will just be easier to go that way. It'll just be easier to go this way. And you're right, it will be. But that would be a flattened faith. It would not be living. The kind of faith like that has an end in destruction. Holiness without peace, that's, that's not faith. Peace without holiness, that's not faith. Right? Because what does Scripture say in the same book? It says faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. It's the hope that Jesus is who he said he is. In just a couple of verses later, it's going to talk about Esau. And it's going to say that for, for the favor of a moment, he threw everything away. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews would say to those people and he would say to you that for the favor of this moment, you could throw everything away. Your faith matters. Your faith tomorrow matters. Not shrinking back. See, it would be so easy. And I think some of us have shrank back in the face of a culture that does not think it's okay to believe some of the things that we believe. And Hebrews would say, consider him who endured such opposition and do not lose heart. That for the favor of a moment, all of eternity would be wasted. That's where Esau was. So the call of embodied faith, the call of an enchanted faith, the call of a faith that is alive, that you can't see, but you can taste and see that the Lord is good. A living faith, the call to embodied faith, is one of being life people in a death culture. 
That's what is being asked for. What does that look like, though? You're like, that's great philosophically, Pastor. What does it look like to be a life person in a death culture? You want to know what it looks like? The two greatest commands that Jesus ever gave. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like to have an enchanted faith? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Man, you could spend the rest of your life in that pursuit and never grow weary because you're with the one that matters most. But make no mistake about it that that kind of holiness, that kind of being with Jesus, that kind of reflecting Jesus will immediately drive you to love your neighbor as yourself. So, so what, what's, the, what's the thing happening under the thing there? If I don't love God and I don't love people, then I'm probably not living my faith. I may not have faith. And that's not a knock. That's just, is it, wouldn't it be better to know that I don't have faith than to live as though I have faith? And get to the end of this thing we call life and have Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, look me in the eye and say, you did a lot of cool stuff. But I didn't know you. You see, because our righteousness will pale compared to his righteousness when all is said and done. You see, when it says without holiness, no one will see God, it's not talking about your effort. It's not talking about your holiness. It's talking about his effort for you because the center of our Christian faith is not what I can do for God. It's what he has done for me. And in turn, he will do through me what I couldn't do apart from him. Critically important. So don't shrink back. Now is the time for us to live our faith. Right now. No matter what happened yesterday, right now. Embodied faith. What's another way to say that? Write this down. Faith with flesh. Faith with flesh. Present and pursuing peace with everyone. Yet holy and strange in Christ. Outrageous? Yes. For sure. To the outsider looking in. That is outrageous. Impossible without Christ? Absolutely. Because you can just look at like the top three issues in our country right now and recognize that if I'm going to follow Jesus... I will be strange in this world. We don't, even, we don't even have to dig into them. Now, now listen, in those three issues, you still love your neighbor as yourself, by the way. Moving on. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. All because... Romans chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, tell us there's this imputed righteousness of Christ that's been given to you. What does that look like? Let me just read Romans 4 to you quickly. Because I think it matters. I think it matters that you know that you know that you know that you have Jesus. Listen to what it says. What does Scripture say? 
Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. It was imputed to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. That's the point. Is that when Jesus comes to you and says, you can live out your faith, you're not doing it alone. And I think the reality is, is that many of us, when we take an inventory of our life and we say, I need to do better at these things, we're doing it by ourselves. We're doing it by ourselves. What does it look like to live your faith? What does it look like to have faith with flesh in 2022 in the United States of America? It looks like pursuing peace with everyone. It looks like making every effort to live at peace with everyone. And yet being holy. Set apart. By God. For God. And for his pleasure. That's what it looks like. But make no mistake about it. That will cause you to suffer. Maybe not physically, but certainly socially. And you're just going to have to be comfortable with suffering. Every Christian from the beginning of time has had to be comfortable with suffering. And I say all that to you because I know what it feels like on Tuesday at Armature Works or on Thursday at Buddy Brew, or wherever it is that you get the second greatest creation coffee. I know what it feels like to have a moment where I should be sharing my faith and to shrink back. I know what it feels like to have sin sitting right in front of me, knowing that I am called to be holy and to choose it anyway. You see, because we can philosophize all day long, but in those moments, me pursuing peace with everyone means telling them about the greatest thing that's ever happened. Jesus. I don't hide my ring when I walk into a place because I'm super pumped that Camden still loves me. Like I'm not hiding that at all. When somebody asks about my kids, I've got 1,467 photos to show them immediately. Like, no problem. When my team is on the screen, no problem. Jersey, hat. But when it comes to Jesus, shrink back. We're going to have to get comfortable. Being uncomfortable. And it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Because the reality is, is that life is short. It's very, very short. 
And apart from Jesus, you got nothing. You got nothing. Don't you love that old hymn? It says, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Why, why, can, why, have, why have Christians been saying that for hundreds of years? Because for hundreds of years, the death rate sits at 100%. Eternity is so much longer than this. So, consider him who endured such opposition and do not lose heart.